listening to FaceTime, the Weiss family's in Connecticut. So, you know, a little bit uh, a little bit down in the spirits. I think, um, you know, my wife and, and the family were just because of the distance. Yeah, the distancing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the visiting of uh, grandma or great-grandma in uh, her uh, assisted living was a little bit difficult and kind of a, a downer, but got to see her anyways, real short. So, hey, on Friday, it was a good weekend, though. On Friday, we were worried about the murder hornets, right? Well, meanwhile, a yeah. black bear, a black bear was spending his weekend breaking into rental property in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Airbnb thought it had problems. Yeah, right. Is it the meat shortage that the, the bear is looking for candy and that type of thing in there? I, I mean, what else can happen, right? Dinner? <laughs> yeah. uh, are Sharknado, Sharknado is going to become a reality uh, this year or something? Or I, I don't know. Well, they, they were saying that, uh, speaking of, of sharks and dogs and all those things, they were saying that the, the bear went inside and he ate a bunch of Reese's peanut butter cups and it got me curious. So I looked it up and did you know that bears can't eat chocolate? In fact, about five years ago, a New Hampshire bear expert was proposing to eliminate the use of chocolate as bait for bears because four bears were found dead at a trapping site due to a chocolate overdose. The bears, two female adults and two cubs, were found dead within 50 feet of where a hunter had put down 90 pounds of chocolate and donuts as bait in uh, September back five years ago. <laughs> 90 pounds of chocolate might kill me or you, Dooner. I don't know if that's such a good thing to eat, but I'm not telling any bear they can't eat chocolate. Bear comes up to me, wants my chocolate. Uh, it, uh, he's got it. But uh, <laughs> let's show our sponsor some love. Hey, Dooner? Yeah, this episode today is brought to you by HubTech. HubTech just launched Tabby. If you were watching Freightways Live at home, you would have seen that, a new task automation bot that helps you focus on what matters to learn more. Stick with this show because Trey Griggs will be on to talk about us after our new segment or go to HubTech or visit GoHubTech.com. So double dose, double dose of those guys. Right on. Yeah, man, I, we've, we've talked about it. We've kind of joked on it. We quoted a, a one of my friends on Twitter who said that meat was the new toilet paper. Well, meat shortages are starting to hit store shelves throughout the country. With the USDA reporting that beef production is down 25% and pork production down 15% from a year ago, some grocery stores are starting to limit how many purchases a customer can buy. This comes as President Trump recently signed an executive order to keep meat packing facilities open. Yeah, the executive order presented uh, social distancing guidelines to ensure safety, yet since April 27th, 20 meat and poultry plant workers have died and another 4,913 from 150, uh, 115 different plants have tested positive with the coronavirus, according to the report from the CDC. So they, they still got the infections going on. Yeah, they, they do, and it, it's creating a uh, obviously a tough situation for the shortage there. In Massachusetts, where I hail from, Costco, Wegmans, Roach Brothers, Stop and Shop, and Market Basket have all commented this, and all of them have imposed buying limits of two to three packages of fresh meat, depending on the location. Pat LaFreder of the Meat Purveyors Association, he said that we're seeing a shortage of labor, though. There's no meat shortage, so it's becoming a problem with the actual factories and getting the workers in there than the actual availability of meat itself. 
Yeah, and, and that's interesting. But regardless if it's if it's labor or it's product, it's not just the grocery stores that are getting hit, though. Fox, uh, Fox Business reports that Kansas City barbecue joints are having their own shortage supplies, uh, select cuts. So uh, pork butts, beef, beef brisket, which are their staples there, are, are in shortage for these local barbecue points or joints, I should say. That's true. There's which make... There's been a number of complaints online as well from Wendy's customers who've been told that they can't get double cheeseburgers as locations are doing rationings. As disruption in the food supply chain have caused shortages in stores, independent farmers are banding together to build their own supply chain, NPR reported. The movement, it's called the Community Supported Agriculture, allows local farms to supply boxes of produce to customers shipped directly from farms. CSA has been around for years, but it's attracting attracting renewed interest because of food shortages. I actually belong to one of these collectives when i was in massachusetts uh, at my daycare they deliver it but for me i had to get out because like the stuff was just too seasonal you know like you every week you sometimes if you're in the wrong season you just get basket after basket of like kale and radishes yeah yeah you you, you don't have the variety that you would at, a, at say a grocery store or that type of thing it's whatever they're producing in that local uh, area those those farmers at that particular moment right yeah, yeah, it's true. Hey, man, uh, unemployment numbers, we've been covering them on this in the coronavirus freight market update. The number behind April, April's had nearly 90,000 job losses in trucking. That's right. John Kingston reports that with a staggering 88,000 plus jobs lost in the trucking sector in April, the question becomes whether the change is temporary or more structural. Yeah, and everybody expected a big decline in the number of jobs. The question was just how big. I guess we got the answer, doing it right? Very big. In the truck transportation segment in Bureau of Labor Statistics data, uh, 1.4 million jobs were reported in April. That was down 88,300 from the prior month. It had not been that low since November 2014. The number of jobs had had not been less than 1.5 million since December 2018, the second biggest decline in the number of jobs uh, since 2013 was in March of 2013, where the sector lost 9,000 jobs, so down 88,300. It's a large number. Tim Hines, the CEO of State Metrics, they're a company that studied that studies job patterns and retention. He said that he saw the paths of numbers released Friday all the way back in mid-March, describing the client's base as a diverse cross-section of carriers. Hines referred back to Monday, March 16th, which was pretty much the first week when it was clear that the nation had become very different. We were in this new normal. The figures from BLS are not all truck drivers, though. It's Freightways market expert and market analyst Zach Strickland, who will also be on later. He said, I'm guessing that a lot of these jobs are back office positions, not drivers. I think that's exactly right, and the fact that the fact is that truck drivers don't account or don't account for even thirty percent of the sector in the truck transportation sector. At the end of two thousand nineteen, the BLS broke down the categories as follows: bus and truck mechanics and diesel specialists thirty six point five percent, supervisors and managers nine point five percent, laborers and freight movers twenty seven percent, truck drivers, heavy and tractor trailer eighteen point one six percent, and truck drivers light or delivery services, 8.2%. The monthly employment numbers do not break down the specific job categories, uh, and it's coming out later this month, but it doesn't break down those specific categories. It's just the industry sector. Chris Jolly said he's looking forward to another great show, Dooner and Michael Vincent. Thank you, Chris. Chris. And uh, Jeremy Reed says full truckload rates are going to put him out of business. That's probably a sentiment from a, a lot of carriers right now. If we don't see some upward pressure or some some large spikes in volumes and some contraction in uh, capacity, that's going to be the issue for quite a while, I would think, Duna. 
Yeah, I, I would think so. You know, we had this big topic, and we've been doing it all the time, the brokers versus the truckers. Brought it up again this weekend on SiriusXM's Road Dog Trucking on Freightwaves Radio, 3 to 5 p.m. Saturdays. And again, was throwing it out to the drivers, that question about rate transparency, if they want the amount the shipper had, had sold it for to be put on the bill. And I got a surprising amount of answers that said, no, uh, you know, it's artificially keeping, you know, regulation, things like that will artificially keep weakened carriers in the market, something we had been talking about. But it was surprising to me that so many of the drivers on there were against all of a lot of the commentary that we are hearing online from a lot of drivers. So your, so your uh, I guess it's ad hoc survey there during your radio show was the, the sentiment was no regulation. They don't want the regulation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they're saying don't move cheap freight. Know your operating costs. You know, build those relationships. Yeah. Focus on, on getting that contracted freight and stop. You know, I think a lot of the guys moving the freight right now, they are looking at the people complaining as, as uh, interlopers who got in, in. And I'm not saying this is true. This is just a sentiment that I was hearing yeah. was that they're interlopers who bought new trucks in 2018 and they weren't prepared for the fluctuations of the market. They thought it would be an easy ride. Yeah. So they got newbies that are kind of uh, uh, ignorant to the ignorant to the business, new to the business, don't know how it goes. And they're setting these low rates and they need to let those guys kind of weed out or get smarter about what they're doing and haul for the right price. Don't haul for a loss. Park your truck, weed it out and, and survive that way rather than asking for artificial protection. Yeah, that, that's what I was hearing. You know who we're going to call now? Trey Griggs. He's uh, he's with Hubtech. They did that big release of Tabby at uh, at Freightwaves Live at Home. We'll get him up. Yeah, they did. Here. Hello. This is the gig economy. This is Trey Griggs economy. It's Trigonometry. It's the Griggs economy. Warm it up, Trey. Are you there? What's up, Tim? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> What's happening, dude? Last time, uh, Trey, I- if, oh. if he wasn't awake before that, he is now. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing over here, making people alive. It's Monday, people. Time to get active. Time to kick ass. Best day of the week to take advantage of uh, take advantage of the sleeping dogs, right, Trey Griggs? Best day of the week, absolutely. It's exciting. Hey, but if you get too tied up, yeah. too much going on, you might want some process automation. You might want something like Tabby. It debuted at Freightways Live at Home. Tell us about it, Trey. Well, we're excited. You know, Tabby stands for Task Automation Bot, and um, it's the revolutionary technology that is bringing automation into the transportation industry in new and exciting ways. And, you know, the purpose behind it is to um, provide workforce optimization. It helps people get more done with less, provides uh, more satisfied uh, workers, provides a better customer experience, and really fills the holes where technology to this point is lacking from an automation standpoint. So we're really excited about it. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff, Trey. And I, I, you know, reading up on it and, and, you know, the announcement last week and talking last week on Freightwaves Live with your big launch, you guys really hit like, uh, you hit three big sectors, right? In the, in the business. Can you talk about the different processes that it does help automate for your customers? Well, I mean, it's, 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 I hate to say it this way, but it's really unlimited in terms of what we can automate. But what we're really finding, and we got great response last week from people who watched the video, because everybody deals with a lot of the same issues. You know, most transportation companies out there are doing manual entry when it comes to entering orders into their TMS. They're doing a lot of manual entry when it comes to processing invoices or, um, you know, doing tracking and tracing still. Even if they have a service, a lot of times, you know, the drivers don't comply and they've got to do follow-up emails. And there's just so many areas that, that have a huge impact. And one of the biggest also is email management. We still live in an email world and people are living in their inboxes when a lot of that can be automated 
in terms of responses or in terms of uh, you know dealing with exceptions and and creating some organization. So you know we we found a couple of areas that we're doing a lot of work in right now and got great response on that. But the biggest one is order entry. I mean every every brokerage is entering orders manually in our TMS for the most part outside of like EDI. They're opening up an email and opening up a document that their shipper has already typed in all the information and they're having to retype it in. So Tabby takes all of that off their hands and uh, allows them to have more revenue generating, revenue preserving, customer experience type activities, which are are much more satisfying. Hey, Trey, a lot of staffs have been reduced, headcounts cut, the skeleton crews working in offices. Has demand increased for, for process automation? Have you been seeing an, an, an increase since, I guess, the, the beginning of March? Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Not only for that, you know, but you, you look at it a couple of ways. One, you know, people are handling a lot more of their plate now than they were before. And so it certainly eases the burden for those skeleton screws, uh, crews. But two, you know, you look at companies that are still in growth mode. There are a lot of companies that are still growing right now and doing really well. Um, and they want to scale without having to necessarily add a lot of staff because it's not just, I mean, staff is available right now because some people have been laid off, um, which is unfortunate. But it's not just adding staff. Anytime that you add staff, you have to add, um, you know, office space. You have to train those people. Now you have more people to manage, which often brings more problems. And, you know, so there's just these issues that continue to arise as you hire people. And so it's a combination of taking the burden off of people who are overworked and also helping companies scale in which they don't have to necessarily look for new office space to handle an extra thousand shipments a month because they don't have to hire as many people to handle that, that volume. Yeah, awesome. So I find it really interesting that you've you've got this hooked up and through the through your CRM. So you've got emails and you can get responses back to back to orders and that type of stuff. It's very interesting stuff, Trey. I I, I love it. But uh, last week, so last week at Freightways Live at home, we had the virtual happy hour, right? Uh, did you take part in that? We did. Oh, I, you did. I was right in the middle of it. <laughs> I was right in the middle of it. You were right in the middle of it. So it, it, it was awesome to do that and uh, kind of talk about can companies really utilize virtual happy hours for connecting? How, how did that work out? You know, absolutely. You know, I didn't even know what to expect when they were going to have virtual happy hours. So, of course, I jumped in just to see what it was like. And as I, as I um, engaged in it, I realized that that's a, it was a really cool, powerful platform, especially now when everybody is working remotely. Um, especially for companies that have a lot of people on their team, it's hard to know people in other departments. Uh, I remember when I, I worked at other companies that had, you know, two, 300 people, you didn't know half the people that worked there. And so the virtual happy hour was pretty cool because it was engaging. Um, it provided kind of a host and a dialogue, but it also provided these games where you would get matched up one-on-one -on -one with people that you didn't know. And you got to talk, you got to meet them and play a fun game and learn about them and have a face-to-face -face interaction so I think it's, I thought it was great. And I think it could be huge moving forward, um, both working remotely, but also for large companies just to help people get to know each other. It was great. Yeah, I think it, it added another layer of immersion. The Slack channel definitely helped a lot with, with grounding the conversations in what the people watching the show wanted to hear or their own reactions. It was very similar to what we do on live shows, taking comments on, on LinkedIn, which was super cool. But the nice part about the virtual networking was that afterwards, it allowed you to sort of put a face to all those interactions, especially some of them were with people you've never met before or maybe had only seen a picture right. of on LinkedIn. It really allowed yeah. you to scale communication rapidly in ways that you uh, you couldn't in person. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I met some people face to face that I've communicated with on LinkedIn, but have never been you know been in their presence. And it was it was neat to put a face to the name and, and uh, connect. No doubt. 
You guys have a webinar. You guys, they have a webinar coming up on May 12th. What's that going to be about? We do. Yeah. So it's a follow-up, you know, we're going to be um, highlighting in more detail, some of the the processes that Tabby can handle and just going through that in a little more in depth, you know, the, the seven minute demo was great, but it was just kind of a, an appetizer. And so Joel's going to be, you know, Joel McGinley is going to be talking about uh, Tabby in more depth and talking about processes and where it fits in, especially as people look to come out of, you know, the, the disaster. So, you know, we're excited for people to join us tomorrow. So make sure that you register for that. Uh, it's going to be a great, uh, great web- webinar with Joel, who just has a real a easy way of explaining this that makes perfect sense to people. Yeah, I'm registered for that. I'm looking forward to it, Trey. It should be very interesting stuff. So um, a- another thing is a word on the street is that you have a thing on Friday called word on the street, your <laughs> virtual lunch. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So on Fridays at, at 1 p.m. Eastern time, I host the virtual lunch via Zoom. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, there's there's several things that have been birthed out of this quarantine. And that's one of those things that was birthed out of it. I, I travel a lot and I get to be with customers and take them to lunch. And I'm not able to do that. And so, you know, I started this as a way basically just to not have lunch alone. I could I could uh, you know have lunch with some friends in the industry and and it, it kind of morphed into this really cool network of transportation professionals and talking about uh, current events and getting their take on it allows me to have a pulse on the industry. I often include a lot of polls so that people can participate on the lunch. Um, everybody has their Zoom camera on, and so um, they're participating and speaking. And it's just been just been a phenomenal event to uh, to stay connected and to keep hearing from other people and to um, experience community. Very similar to that virtual happy hour. We just do it every week and have a lot of fun with it. And anybody's welcome. It's an open invitation. We'd love to have more people join us and, and just be connected with other industry professionals. It's a phenomenal group of people, very positive, forward-thinking group that uh, have great insights on what's going on right now and navigating these uh, new waters. Hey, Trey, Chris Jolly says he needs Ice Trey back. Uh, maybe next time we got a video feed on you, we'll, we'll make that happen. The only problem is we got to come up with our own song because of, you know, licensing rights. Don't need, uh, you know, Rip Van Winkle or whatever Villain Ice's real name coming after us or, you know, Shush and I hanging us, <laughs> hanging us over a balcony for, for the rights. <laughs> How, where do people go? We talked about a lot here. Where do they go to, uh, to, to learn more? Yeah, so go to our website, which is gohubtech.com, G-O-H-U-B-T-E-K.com. They can also look, look us up on LinkedIn. Look me up on LinkedIn and connect with me. I'm happy to answer any questions that people have and excited to, uh, you know, to have this automation movement uh, you know, moving forward. So that's the best way to get a hold of us. Thank you very much, Trey. Oh, always good to hear from him. He was he was the life of the party at those those virtual events, the the after parties that we were having, Michael Vincent. Yeah, Ice Trey, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, th- and those parties were excellent, but I think the combination of the Slack and the interaction throughout the event really added to the to that to the a happy hour event, right? Because you wanted to go seek out those people, and you normally wouldn't have had that interaction really throughout the day uh, unless it was that virtual event and set up the way that it was. It was really outstanding. That's exactly it. By the way, we have some comments here. John Peter OSS, he said, this is my first time listening live. Great, concise, and pertinent facts. Thanks. Um, let's see, Thomas back coming back with that reel. Uh, Jeremy says full truck load rates are going to put me out of business. We talked about that one. It yeah. Can- Thomas Neal says it costs the average carrier dollar thirty five per mile per operation. Sabrina Lubin says Geotab is the best way to manage her fleet. Gavin Chandler said the age of the automated truck has come upon us. The age of the Whoa. truck driver is over. Why capitalism, profit margin, and GPS tracking, you know, we've talked about that before. That's almost a whole show, but I don't know if it's that simple. 
It, it isn't that simple. You got regulations, you got public sentiment, you've got uh, the technology quite isn't there. We, we learned about, you know, and many of our talks, the different hurdles that have to be done. It's not just, it's not just the outside infrastructure and, and so on, uh, or public sentiment and acceptance and, and legal uh, as far as, you know, barriers for automated vehicles. But then it's also the infrastructure and the, uh, what do they say, the redundancy of the safety features and operations of the actual vehicles themselves in Class 8, do we, we talked about that last week. Yeah, we sure did. You know what we're going to talk about now, though? Raising venture capital during a pandemic. No easy feat, but Taylor Blocks wow. of BasicBlock.io did. Let's get him on the horn and see what his secret is for uh, for enticing the investors in a time like this. Yeah. Five, five, two minutes. Hey, Taylor, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's going on, Tim? Hey, congratulations. You're here with Dooner and the Dude. And uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about Basic Block, and you secured funding for it. What is Basic Block? Yeah, man, we're uh, we're essentially a workflow solution for trucking companies to submit their documents, bill of lading, proof of deliveries, any receipts. Um, we organize, the, organize those bad boys up. We send them into the back office, integrate with the TMS, and we get them paid quicker. So I'm just a mobile application, and we do that. Really good stuff. Trey, hey, this is Mike Vincent, the dude. It's nice to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on, man. So COVID-19 placed a, a big bullseye on capital efficiency and liquidity and obviously health. Is this was a big driving force between Basic Block and your, your ability to secure, secure the seed funding? Yeah, I think I, I think there was a, a mix of it, right? We had a really we had really good traction early on in the company. Um, and then we paired that with like a great cap table. We had Jason Calacanis come in, in our pre-seed round. Uh, and then once COVID hit, we, it really did. It's, it's very true. All of those things kind of like this perfect storm of, uh, of things happened that allowed us to see even more traction and more growth and more adoption across the industry, um, which ultimately ended up, you know, uh, providing tons of value and, and our investors seeing that. Uh, so we were lucky in that sense of the word, but to say that it was easy raising in a pandemic, I would, I would, I would definitely disagree. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> he, he actually, he's quoted in, uh, in the release that you had on Medium that said, "COVID has made our mission more clear and our value prop stronger than ever." You are, you're a unique company, right? Running a freight tech company out of Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're in the heart um, of the Corn Belt in Nebraska, so uh, it is interesting to like be able to see the this pandemic almost destroy uh, uh, a lot of these companies but for us it's almost made us more passionate about what we're doing and, and give more direction to where we want to be um so we've been lucky in that way it's almost kind of helped us find who we are and be more efficient doing so um but that being said you know the the pandemic i mean it it is it's absolutely insane and, you know the the way that some investors and just some people you get and talk on the phone with you know four or five hours of meetings with them and then you they find you find out they're not actually even investing at that point. So it, it was really unique to, to be in that and then, you know, not have personal meetings, which when somebody's giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, you generally want to build a personal connection with them when and it's hard to do that over zoom right now. So it was just very unique challenges um, that, that we had to solve along the way for sure. Very, very interesting. So uh, Taylor, you've got the money. What, what was the plan? What was the sell to them? What, what's the money for? What's, what's the future look like for you? Yeah. So right now we're doing some really cool stuff around OCR, um, optical character recognition, uh, natural language processing, image detection. So we want to build really a world-class 
you know, best in class, best scanner, um, mobile document scanner that logistics has ever seen. Um, and then we're also pairing that with a pretty revolutionary payment system, a really unique API to issue and fund invoices, you know, in hours, less than, you know, we want to get it down to less than a day. Right now we can do it in about five to six hours. Um, depending on when um, they submit the invoice, but we want to get that down to almost hours. So really, it's investing heavily into the scanning, and then you know simultaneously working really on that pay- on the payment side, and seeing how quick can we get it. The goal is to be instant. Um, you know, the second a driver uh, submits documents, we want to be able to pay them instantly. Um, there are some logistical challenges that go around that, but it's something that we're really passionate about solving. And so our customers. Taylor, I remember at at Transparency 19, the first time I ever met you was at, which was FreightWaves Live at home this year. A year ago, we did it in Atlanta Live. I met you there. And at the time, you had some sentiments about blockchain. You were a big fan of it for a payment platform, but not so much oh, for, for document cargo tracking. A lot of the, the bill of goods that, that you had seen some demos, people promising. Has your opinion changed on blockchain at all? Or are you just narrowing down even further into this whole payment platform? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, <laughs> that that bleeds into a lot of our product roadmap that we're really excited about. Um, I think there's really some unique challenges to using blockchain. Um, I don't want to give away too much of what we could and what we might use or what we might be using today. Um, but you know, I think oh. my view on my view on blockchain um, is if you have to talk about it, it's probably not a real thing. Um, <laughs> so, for, like, I think that people like to use blockchain as a value prop. Um, like we're using blockchain, we plan to use blockchain, but it's, I don't think that's necessarily really what a customer cares about. They want efficiency. Um, so, you know, my view on blockchain, I'm still passionate about it, still interested in crypto. Very, I see some very unique things um, in the industry as far as like, you know, hashing bill of ladings and, you know, time stamping and using smart contracts to issue funding. Um, but I, 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 for us, we still remain focused on finance as the way to go with blockchain at currently in logistics. Um, but I can be persuaded otherwise. There's some interesting companies out there that are doing some unique things. I just haven't seen one really, you know, take off. Yeah. Yeah. So, Taylor, I mean, it, it would go to it would seem that your character recognition, right? So you're not you're not looking for necessarily that the, the blockchain was driving towards, uh, you know, homogenous invoices and bill of ladings, that type of stuff. Your characteristic recognition and the technology that you're looking for is to scan that document, exit, uh, recognize entries into it, not necessarily the form itself for instant recognition for that payment process, et cetera, right? Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. So the goal is to read that document almost like a a human or back office would do and then be able to make and cross-reference that with event data in a TMS. So like McLeod or, you know, any of the Trimble TMS softwares or, or, you know, um, like any of the DAT solutions and then be able to say like, hey, this is exactly what was agreed upon in the rate. Um, It's kind of like blockchain in in cross-referencing it. We're not actually using a distributed database. Awesome. Awesome. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. So uh, who should and how do they reach out to you to learn more and get involved? Yeah. So the easiest thing is, you know, obviously go to our website, basicblock.io. You can easily submit to join or or access the beta on some of the stuff we're doing. Um, Or, you know, uh, emailing me just Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R at basicblock.io. And I'm pretty responsive on my email. Wow, thank you very much, Taylor, and congratulations on the 1.5 milli. You know, don't go too crazy. Don't go too crazy at Walmart. I know, I want, I want. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me. Take it easy, dude. Keep Nebraska proud. Uh, hey, good stuff out of him. Big Red, right? 
Yeah, right on. Hey, we got some comments here, too. People are, argue- people are arguing in the comments section. Uh, Tariq says, the shipper has a problem with the rate because they have access to only a few carriers. Imagine if 10 carriers can see your shipment on a big system, you'll get the best rate, to which Jake McLeod says, so kind of like using a broker. Corey Albert says, Dooner. <laughs> broker or load board. <laughs> What's up, John? K- John Kale, he says, uh, freight futures will enable a big picture and future position hedging. He's looking, he's looking forward to that. He thinks that can solve the problem. Gavin Chandler, carrier, carrier sales manager at CH Robinson, before we called Taylor, he's the one who said that, Automated trucks are, are you know, the, the wave of the future. Um, right. I don't know if he's replying to us or some of the comments, but he says, when people go back to stores and demand shoots way up, how do you feel about facilitating the second wave of the virus when we are at 5,000 or more deaths a day? Will your sentiments be, well, at least they surged the freight market before they died? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, our role here is just to report on what's happening in the freight market. Um, if that question is tethered into the automated trucking thing, it's just that the, the space isn't mature enough, so it's not really a resolution during COVID anyway. I mean, it, it's going to be here yeah. when it gets here and regula- regulation allows it. But one thing that was interesting, Michael, is we were talking to a few people at Freight Waves Live at Home about the sentiment towards automatic vehicles, right? Automated yeah. cars, automated trucks changing a bit in the post-COVID world as people get more comfortable with seeing the robotic cars on the road. Do you think that we will see people getting more comfortable with the taxis, though, before trucks? Or do you think the evolution will happen at a similar time? I think that happened. You know, I've been thinking about this quite a bit because it's interesting. Is it one or the other? And I think really both of them are going to, it'll be more simultaneously because when we're talking about COVID, et cetera, in the transportation industry, it's that contactless at delivery and the automation at delivery uh, or, or pickup that is that is more essential it's according to efficiencies and also contact, right? We, the, the health concerns. And then you're talking about ride share, automated ride share or, or automated taxis, automatic vehicles and taxis, autonomous, I should say, sorry. Uh, And that is from a health concern, uh, more so than a convenience concern to bring those into situations. And and so they're really two different things, right? Yeah. Andy Hendrick, he says 60,000 to 200,000 pound truck and trailer going down the road without a driver. Do you think regulatory and public sentiment will ever allow this? He has his doubts on that. I mean, I think they will allow it. It's just that it's not my issue with it. It's not really an issue. And this is becoming one of those topics, like even coronavirus, everything becomes so politicized these days, it's hard to, uh, I think we want to make it clear here that our, our position's pretty neutral. We're going by the data, though, and, and obviously we want everyone to to stay safe. And of course, Freightway is a company doing its own social distancing measures and just did a virtual conference. So we're, we're not in any rush to get back to anything until it's safe to do so. Yeah, exactly, and I and I think that the the acceptance of it is is going to be high, especially on the long mile, the long haul, the long mile. As we talk to several people, that's where it starts is in the long drives, the the two day drives, the long drives, and then you're more regionalized. You have maybe not driverless, but uh, uh, piloted, or there'd be an engineer in the driver's seat with them, and then you know your city driving stuff like that. Obviously, with a big rig, uh, is going to be uh, further down the line as the technology evolves and acceptance of it. You know, the, the people that are pushing this technology seem to be very aware of that, too. They're, they're talking, they keep wanting to bring the conversation back to stage three autonomous, which is, which is heavy level assist and stuff like you might find in a Tesla versus level five, which is that truck going down the road by itself. So the, the people purveying the technology, they, they also want to make it clear that, uh, that they're aware that there's limitations, but there's still also a lot of development and good going on within that side of the field. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're hearing. That, I, I think that's the natural progression. Let's uh, talk to Zach Strickland about his chart of the week. Let's do that. Wow. We got Zach up yeah. there? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm not allowed to look at him. Okay, well, Zach, Zach re- you had a uh, chart of the week. It was somewhat positive in the sense that it said uh, reefer capacity begins to tighten. Could Van follow? Walk us through it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot of the questions I get here are basically like, well, how connected is the reefer and van segment in the freight market? And the, the answer to that question isn't necessarily that straightforward. So I took a deep dive here, or a, a medium-sized dive into this uh, topic, uh, because I was seeing the reefer rejection rate increasing before the van rejection rate. Now. It's kind of different in the way that this traditionally happens. Normally, we see van rejection rates or van capacity tighten in front of reefer to an extent, at least on the national level. Uh, so to see reefer kind of lead the van market in this regard was a little unique to me. But again, we've kind of entered this, uh, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, new environment. So. I was kind of exploring the idea of, you know, could this reefer capacity tightness actually lead the van segment in the way that people would now start to kind of fall out of their routing guides a little bit more, knowing that capacity was a little bit tighter in one segment or the other. Uh, because back in 2017, I remember specifically a produce season led van uh, because of the uh, the late season produce harvests. Yeah, it definitely did, Zach, and that's, it's interesting, but when it, because uh, you and I had personal experience in back in 2017 regarding that very thing that happened, uh, but uh, we can't, we won't get into that right now, but would it not make sense that now with the plans of, of uh, uh, restaurants in, in many states starting to, starting to uh, pick up and, and, or the threat of them actually opening up and that type of stuff where the, the wind of change is coming, that uh, reefer would kind of have a quicker uptick because now you've got more food flowing into those restaurant supply warehouses, the the food supply warehouses? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily dependent on that exactly. Uh, we are seeing reefer volumes increase, uh, which is also, is putting that tightness on it. But reefer, of course, is a much more fragmented, uh, segmented sector of the freight market itself. There's far fewer uh, reefer trailers available out there uh, versus dry van. So that puts them out of position a lot more often. And, and so a lot of the reefer carriers will haul dry van style freight mm-hmm. to get back to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something I'm really looking for here is those reefer rejections signals showing me that there's going to be a significant tightness in that market in regards to, you know, out there on the West Coast. Produce season may not be a lot of contracted freight, but it'll show up in the tender rejections as a lot of those reefer carriers will now go and haul a lot of that lettuce, strawberries, or melons, whatever they're hauling out there, uh, for a higher rate on the produce market because it's a much more volatile uh, commodity to haul in transportation. So I'm really, you know, I'm not really sure about whether or not that food warehouse food distribution network is really having a notable impact to the capacity just yet, but we'll see. Zach, well, not a, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead, Duder. Zach, is, is meet the new toilet paper? Uh, will, will this show <laughs> up in the in the reefer data? I mean, what's going? We're already seeing in supermarkets. People are online. You see plenty of pictures. People reaching out to me saying, "I heard you say meet the new toilet paper." I just went in my grocery store. I don't see anything on the shelves. What what's going on? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I don't think you're going to see it be the new toilet paper. It already was the toilet paper for a while. If anybody looking for ground beef earlier uh, in the process, but that, that's, you know, we're not seeing a shortage of food. We're seeing a kind of a transition in the cold chain or the food supply chain to a more fresh, you know, they have to process things differently to put it into the grocery stores versus taking it on the commissary, you know, the Cisco trucks, uh, you know, and all the goop that they actually process that food into before it hits a restaurant or a fast food chain or something like that, like the schools, for instance, they have a big impact on the uh, supply chain for food pro processing. So meat is not the new toilet paper is what you're saying. Is that right? No. It, it so, we got the, so we got the headline. Well, uh, right. Hey, wait. In a sense, it is because just like with toilet paper, you have two different buyers, right? Like with toilet paper, yeah, you have the true. grocery store buying the Charmin, the Scott tissue, but then you have the big industrial-sized boxes. The rolls don't fit in your normal thing. Well, same with like – same goes on with food, right? You, you're you not going to go to a grocery store and buy a box of like 200 pounds of beef. Correct. Right. Yeah. Some of us are. Some of us I mean, it already it already was that way before all of this. Uh, you know, they they need to. I think that they. I mean, for it to actually occur the way that, that Michael's laying it out, we actually would have seen more f uh, carriers move to the you know grocery style supply chain versus the food distribution style supply chain, which is more processed. So, Zach, really quickly, really quickly, I always just wanted to go back to your, your point that you were talking about reefer carriers and reefer capacity will oftentimes handle uh, 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 non-reefer or uh, freight on the backhaul lanes, correct? Correct. So, uh, would that explain kind of what I'm looking at here when I see that, you know, reefer volumes right now are, are f significantly above 2018 and even 2019 right now, yet the, the, the rejection rate is a th approximately a third of, of what it averaged last year. Would that be because there is nothing else to go after there? There's, and those backhaul lines are deadheading to, and then accepting more reefer freight now? Again, I think we're seeing kind of this complicated maneuvering by the carriers. So back in 2018 or so, we had a lot of contracted freight volumes uh, earlier in the year, and that kind of declined through 2018 as carriers probably just abandoned a lot of contracts to go cover all that high-paying spot freight. So right now, we've actually seen over the last year a transition into more contracted reefer business as the spot market became more settled. So you're seeing a lot more carriers willing to commit to those long-term contract rates on the reefer side, which has made them, that's probably putting them a little bit out of position at this point in time as, you know, we're entering these produce seasons, you're seeing all these meat plants go on and offline, they're probably having to kind of reposition their, their trucks a little bit more, so they're going to go and actually bail out of their contracts more uh, quicker as the spot market becomes a little bit more active for them, which it has been slightly here in the last few weeks. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Zach. Very insightful as always. Uh, Dooner. Yeah. We're going to do big deal, little deal with Emily Zink. So, Zach, thank you so much for joining us. We went for Emily to get up there. We did have a couple comments in the comments section. Jake McLeod, CCO at RPM, he said, a lot of liability to worry about for trucks. Imagine an accident leading to a fatality. Who is at fault? The trucking company, the software company, the driver of the man vehicle. Yeah, I mean, you know, then you got to get insurance involved and everything. But we look at nuclear verdicts all the time, too, Michael. So a lot of liability there, too. And maybe for the carrier, if you can prove that it's safer to have the automated truck, I think that that might be a win for automated, even if it if it spreads out risk exposure. 
Yeah, I think it, I think it they would be actually safer. I think they're correct that they're more safe than an actual driver. I think the the legal side of it becomes interesting when you look into the facts of how that truck was programmed to decide hit this or hit that. Because it's going to have to at some point. And Eric Serta says, freezers are hard to find right now. I need a new one. It's going to take a week or two to get one shipped. So someone is out there stockpiling all the frozen meat. So I guess people are buying like the, the old, you know, the, the, the ice chest that you, you know, if you're a gangster, you put a dead body inside of. <laughs> Maybe that's what you used him for. I don't know. That's I, you always see them in movies, right? It. They're always a plot device in movie where someone like jumps inside the like the stand up freezer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we get stuck inside of it. Oh, Big man. Big deal. Big deal, little deal. Big deal. Little deal. And Tom Curry, SVP Strategy and Innovation at Kingsgate Logistics, good friends over there, said Van is going to be much slower before we see the impact. While much of the refrigerated supply chain was still moving, much of the dry van freight came to a halt. We're seeing long-haul freight increase in terms of tender volume, but we need to see the short and mid-haul step up to the plate before van rejections start hitting. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he's wrong. We are seeing uh, uh, tweener and and mid start to pick up, but local and short are still uh, kind of uh, flat at this time as far as volumes. Yeah, another point that was brought up on on radio with our friend Lance with the with the harmonica, right? He was on Sirius XM's Road. Lance Australia. Healy. We dove yeah. a little deeper into LTL, and he was talking about how uh, full truckload is actually stealing from LTL right now too. So they're not seeing the boon in uh, in in their freight flows. He said that one thing that may be a boon though is that moving forward after the pandemic, if we did move more towards a uh, just-in-case type of philosophy, there'd be a lot smaller and, and more spread-out shipments coming more frequently, so that would be a win for LTL. Yeah, I think that's a possibility, but isn't just-in-time more of an argument towards uh, smaller shipments in LTL as you need it to move faster and can't wait for the truck to, to fill? Well, his point was that uh, it would be a boon for the warehouses, and there would be there would be more micro-footprints of warehouses, but stores, they don't have room to put in excess of 10-15% inventory, so they would still have to have those shipments ferried in constantly from distribution centers. Yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly right. But they also don't have the dock space to, to accept 50 deliveries a day yeah. and multiple deliveries a day. So, I mean, it's a, it, it goes both ways. There's an argument. It'll be an interesting dynamic to see how it works out. Yeah. The 83,000 jobs lost in April warehouse operators cut 74,100 jobs, leaving package delivery companies as the only transportation sector boosting employment during this historically bad month in the jobs market. Doing a big deal, little deal. Uh, it's, it's it's a big deal, right? It's a, it's a lot of job loss. Uh, it's not 30 million jobs, but it's a big section of where we're coming from. Um, it It's not all truckers, as Zach had said. It, it's back-end workers and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Al Jazeera had put out that article saying that transportation was recession-proof, which is absolutely ridiculous because we are one of the most susceptible fields to, to recession. Even in good times, the market fluctuates. And uh, it's always a rocky road, man. Nobody ever said freight was easy. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not easy. So you a big deal. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that uh, it's a big deal because it's a shift in the in those jobs. I'm not so sure that uh, you know the reasons behind the increase in the package deliveries is going to go away. So I think those stay there. And as we as we uh, or stay at some high level there because of the convenience factor that people are getting used to. So I think those jobs s- stick. They they're they're not necessarily seasonal as in the COVID season, if you want to call it. I hope. It doesn't 
doesn't become a seasonality thing, but I think they stick. And then as, as you know, the industry and the economy come back online, we start to grow back those other jobs in the, in the uh, actual, the, the big rigs, the long haul trucking, the, the larger shipments. Yeah, I, I, I can't argue it there. So the, the trade deal with U.S. between the U.S. and China may be in jeopardy. U.S. and China are still negotiating via phone. But President Trump's optimism over the future of the agreement could be a sign of trouble ahead. What do you think? Uh, I think all we need are regulations and, and, and more. <laughs> I think it's a big deal because we don't we don't need the turmoil. Right, we we don't need the turmoil right now. We need smooth sailing to get our economy and the world economy back online, and this creates more turmoil. Uh, you know, prices going up, where am I going to source, etc. As companies are already trying to figure out, do they need to diversify more with their supply chains internationally now or not? Do they need more than one source for this product or that product, and different trading partners, and so on and so forth? To throw this type of stuff on top of it, and not have this trade negotiations go smoothly, adds adds more confusion and more stress to the system. Yeah, I was reading an article about this back in February, and they were talking about uh, the, the closing of ports in China and how this trade deal was was just about to be agreed upon, but China's already having trouble fulfilling their end of the bargain, and this would this would probably become a political point for, for President Trump to bring back to the table. You know, we, we blamed the trade war for a lot of what happened last year. A lot of people blame the trade war for a lot of what happened last year. That's still going on. Plus, we have a pandemic on top of it. So any resolution there is good. Yeah, I agree. 100%. 100%. So, Dinger, U.S. supply chains, future could be tied to Mexico and the USMCA. Big deal, little deal. I mean, even more regulation we're talking about. It's, an, it's another piece of policy that seemed like it was going to go through. Then this pandemic happens. And now, is it going to go into effect in July? Is it not going to go into effect? And as we always say in business, uncertainty is the worst thing that you can have. So, And a lot of the manufacturers, the OEMs over there, they're looking forward to opening their factories. They're trying to do so. So in the middle of May, actually, in the in the coming days, right? I think a lot had said May 15th. So that is what? Just that's Friday. So getting those yeah, back online is. will be big. But at the same time, we're also seeing a new wave of infections come into a lot of plants. So hopefully they're safe about it. They can do it with the right amount of social distancing. And we don't have that start-stop effect that could be really devastating as well. Yeah, absolutely. So are you going big deal or little deal on that? It's uh, – I think it's a – it's – Right it's now, a pain in the I, butt I mean, is what it is. It's something yeah. we don't need. I, I mean, we can agree on that. If, you know what? Because I'm trying to think of this. When you said that, I'm like, if the coronavirus wasn't here, would I think it's a big deal or a little deal? And I think I don't know if the conversations would really change that much about the USMCA. I think they're like all trade deals. There'd be a lot of wrangling going on, especially with the way yeah. they've been handled over the past couple of years. But I do think that Mexico is going to become a much bigger, much more prominent player. Moving forward, as people don't look, as, as companies look to not get cut out from their sourcing by China. But as we've seen since 2016, companies have looked towards moving their supply chains. But it's not like you can just pick up and move um, factories, all the or all that stuff you can move out of China and just bring to Mexico. There's a lot of back end to all this stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's much more complicated than saying, well, I'm just going to use this source instead of that source. There's a lot to it, a lot, lot more to it. Yeah. What about you? Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, it, it's 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 it just muddies the water even even worse with the worse with the with the uncertainty. We already have the uncertainty, so I think it's it's more of a big deal right now because of the un, un, uncertainty. But I'm not so sure the same discussion would be being had, like you said, if it wasn't with the you know trying to recover from COVID in the current crisis. 
Cybersecurity, another big one. We've touched on this with all the, all the work from home, but lack of cybersecurity has exposed rail freight to attacks. That's from the CEO of Silas. It's an, it's an Israeli cybersecurity startup talking about the, uh, the potential impact of a hacking event on the rails. Big deal or little deal? I think it's a, it, it, I think it's a mediocre deal. It sounds like a really big deal from the beginning, but it, uh, when I've read through this and looked through what they can do, the the uh, there, there's difficulties first in solving the cybersecurity because of the proprietary nature of the of the different systems between the different rail providers. Uh, so solving that issue would be like uh, it'd be uh, they'd be one-off solutions for each one of those providers. So it's a difficult thing to do, but also the 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 fail-safes that are built into the those systems right now when an outside or a non-expected uh, 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 uh communication occurs, it shuts the train down, right? So I, I think we're not looking at them utilizing this to manipulate trains so that they crash or avoid signals and that type of stuff, but they just shut that train down and then it'd be a, a you know, you'd have to work through to get those that freight moving. So I, I think it's a mediocre deal. <laughs> That's not even an option, but uh, you know it's a big deal. <laughs> if you've ever seen the, the, I believe it was Denzel Washington, his movie Unstoppable. That's where like someone, and it's based off a true story. Someone tried to take a train and just like run it through a town. Then we had that other yes. guy. We had that other guy who tried to steal a train and run it into a boat. Who tries to attack a boat with the train? Well, some well, guy. Yeah. Did. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Denzel. Don't Denzel didn't do that. No, it wasn't. I. <laughs> I mean, it's it's cybersecurity is a big deal, but is it a big deal on the rails? I don't know until we. We start seeing some big cyber attacks probably at the moment i think i'm with you it's on the lower end of the spectrum yeah okay all right cool <laughs> i thought you're gonna go the other day i was prepared to argue with you but then you came back to my side of the fence so i love you again uh so trucker path partners with motel six to offer 12 percent discount to drivers during covid19 pandemic dooner big deal little deal Big deal. We love to highlight all this stuff. There's so much negative stuff going on in, in the news, and it's hard to put a positive spin on a pandemic other than people coming together and then with Motel 6 offering those 12% discounts. We've also seen Drury Hotels doing something similar, Red Roof Inn doing something similar to support truckers. Um, we're, we're seeing uh, Triumph Pay getting together with some partners and Ingrid Brown to give out PPE. We saw that, that young kid, Jake, who was handing out sandwiches and is his contemporary who was in... Uh, issues in North Carolina. So it's great to see people step out and bring attention to the support that truckers need and that this hasn't been just a storyline that we pulled along at the beginning and has been forgotten. We're continuing to highlight a lot of this stuff. I agree with you. It's a, it's a big deal and not to say that this one's a little deal, but even a little deal in 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 helping the security and, and assisting our drivers and the logistics and the supply chain to keep the economy moving, even the littlest of deals is actually a big deal. So I'm going to go big deal with this one here. And I'm not saying that the 12% discount is a small deal. This is a big deal. Gotcha. Yeah. So what do you think, uh, Duner? Uh, Tom Cruise, doesn't he shoot uh, most of his own uh, his own stunts? Isn't he one of those guys that does his own stunt work? Uh, yes, he is. He is. So NASA working with uh, Tom Cruise to shoot a film in space, right? Now this is my side, right? I'm, I, I go first on this one here, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's big deal because I love Tom Cruise movies. You ever see Edge of Tomorrow? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's a really good one. I had low expectations going in. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I, I think it's a big deal. Tom Cruise doing his own stunts in space. 
I remember, started next week. I remember when Gravity came out, a lot of people were like, well, how do they film that movie in space? Now, those people might not have been the brightest bulbs in the sky or the, the brightest <laughs> stars, you know, shining up in space. But uh, I don't think they shot Gravity in space. They have done a few documentaries, though, and they've done stuff in the International Space Station. NASA has, uh, I, don't, I think they've gotten a new marketing guy. I've interviewed Mark Weiss from there on, um, yeah. on radio, and I interviewed him on a Freightways Insider. Super interesting guy. Uh, we may even be going to that launch. I hope. I don't know. I hope COVID didn't ruin that. But I know that for American soil, we're going up to the. the we're going back up to space for the first time in a long time. And you know, you got to reach out and get funding from a lot of places. Why not Hollywood? Yeah, exactly. Why not? Why not? So big deal, little deal. Are you looking forward to this, man? Tom Cruise in space. I dig space. I want to see a movie about the International Space Station filmed on location in the International Space Station, not just a bunch of CGI and green screen. So, of course, it's a big deal. No, it's also a big deal. Freight Waves Live next big event will be a global trade virtual summit. What do you think of that? I, th- I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I was talking to George Abernathy, our, uh, our, our president here at Freight Waves, just this morning about last week's event and how uh, you know, I was blown away with it. And, and the feedback that I've been hearing on LinkedIn and social media and through phone calls, talking with people who attended the virtual event, better than the actual live donor because of the ability to network during events, understand things. And just like we were talking about earlier when we were talking about the happy hour event, how much... It, that was even improved because you could hear and 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 have these interactions with so many of the people and everybody who was who was interested in watching what was going on, and then later follow up and and have a a, a already have a conversation set up. Right? It, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was using Big the internet. Deal. It was using the internet for uh, you know when it's at its best, which is leveraging it as a communication platform, leveraging it as a connections platform, and it was doing both really well, allowing us to give. Information at the market at scale from a bunch of different sources in broadcast quality while also retaining that networking aspect through Slack and those virtual happy hours, bringing people together, allowing them to network at scale. It allowed a lot of people to share conversations and share ideas and, uh, you know, overhear conversations because you see people have them in Slack. Now, you could go in direct messages, but they're also seeing public conversations between people. And it's, it's inspiring thoughts, inspiring business. And I hope uh, people close a ton of deals and I hope they had a great time. The feedback has been awesome. Uh, Mark Horowitz said, he liked it, but he says, happy Monday, guys. He just wants to get back in the office. I feel you too, but until we can really do that and really do that safe and really do these events in person safe, I am all for this uh, virtual space. And I think it'll also be coming at a great time because the world will be really interesting place come this September. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens yeah, with this September. And, and, you know, I, I can empathize exactly with him. He wants to get back into the office. Um, I'm one of few that actually come into FreightWaves headquarters here. We're very a skeleton crew here to keep everything everything safe. But uh, it's nice to have that divergence. But uh, the utilization of the technology that I've seen with with uh, with the video conferencing, et cetera, is really, it, it's going to stick. And when you talk to industry executives and you talk about travel duner Coming up like the fall and what is coming in the future, you know, to take the time out to actually uh, travel to close deals, etc., isn't necessarily uh, uh, the value proposition it was before, dude. What are you hearing? I, <laughs> um, I am hearing. Uh, 
Uh, plenty, but I got to be honest with you. I wasn't paying attention to what you said because I was reading a comment in the comments. I was saying, I was saying, I was saying, I was saying, I was saying uh, as far as getting back into the office in the, in this fall, what's going on? The sea level suite and, and those that I talked to uh, and have heard from since this event and, and just networking with travel as we come back that won't necessarily be that that take two days and fly to the West Coast and hit three customers when it is efficient and really really well done to make those connections virtually through uh, through uh, video conferencing, et cetera. And just like we talked to earlier, um, you know, Ta- I believe it was Taylor, uh, completed his C-Round uh, funding virtually. Yeah, which is which is an amazing feat, considering we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have a couple more comments here. The one I was going to read out had me a little distracted was uh, Jake McLeod was, was saying, I don't wish for anyone's business to fail. Think outside of your industry, all the bars, restaurants, hotels, airlines, resorts, leisure companies, etc. They are all struggling and many are going to fail. Not totally their fault. This is an artificial marketing addition and it's ruining many lives. And that's really the reality of it. You know, people are always looking for, for ways to point fingers, but yeah. Yeah, no, he, he's dead on. It's it's sad in some of those things. But I was able to get out and support my local barbershop this weekend, Dooner. I had to answer a five-question survey before I was allowed in the door and wear a mask and such. But they're open and running. Oh, I thought you might have gotten a debate with Zach Strickland, and he, uh, he took a little off the top. <laughs> no, no. I threatened my wife that I was going to shave my own head if she didn't let me go try and get my hair cut. So. Scott Watanabe, he says, Edge of Tomorrow. Guess guess what? Book is better. So I don't know if you uh, if you read much, Michael, but he says the book is better. Uh, the movie's pretty good, though. Yeah, no, the, I, 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 the books are usually better in my mind as well. I, I, I have not read it, but I, I imagine that it, that man it is. But uh, the movie was pretty solid. Anyways. And then Gavin Chandler says, Chris Jolly, the highly trained tux, truck savvy, tech savvy truck pilot of the future sounds really great. Maybe then people will finally give them the respect they deserve. You know, like, like Tom Cruise in Top Gun. <laughs> finally give it <laughs> yeah. okay Ta- I, you know I, would, I was never re- well and I'm not going to get into that one because people hate me but I was never really a big Top Gun guy wow that's brutal okay. I know it is <laughs> I didn't like the game <laughs> I, it was, it I didn't like the Nintendo game it was impossible to land on the aircraft carrier hey a little cowbell for everybody who joined us today Good times, everyone joining us on the show. Uh, subscribe to Freightcast. Get every single Freightwaves podcast. Download the Freightwaves TV app. You'll find a ton of content from Freightwaves Live at home on both of those. You can tune in. You can carry the conversations on with us. Follow me on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Or hook up with us at LinkedIn. He's Vincent the Dude on there, or Michael Vincent on LinkedIn. We love to connect. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of, of What the Truck. From the office, from at home, from our bed. 